Good morning. I too, along with David, would like to welcome you to worship this morning at Rivermont EPC. I'm excited that you're here and I must say it's a, it's a great joy to look out and see uh, several former students who are home for the holidays for Thanksgiving weekend. So wonderful as always to see them and see the, the spaces out there to re- be reminded how God works and continues to work uh, in our students' lives. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, this morning you can open your Bibles to Col- Colossians chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 985. As you're doing that, I want to say and begin by saying this, that as we become more involved in the covenant community here at Rivermont and enjoy friendships and living in relationship with one another, it can be a challenge for us to become inward focused. The more we become involved in the life of the church, It is so easy to forget that the vast majority of people around us are lost and they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. The last few weeks, David has taught us about what it means to put off the old self and put on the new self through our union with Christ. And as we conclude our study of Colossians this morning, we will learn how the new self person lives, focusing outwardly on the unbeliever. So let us read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 17. This is the Word of God. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus, will you tell, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf and his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, 
have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let us pray. Dear Almighty God, you are worthy of all honor, power, and glory. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true and good. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit. It brings eternal truth. Lord, we ask now, by your grace and power, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to listen to the beauty of the gospel. Lord, I pray that, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. As we begin thinking about these verses, I would say in chapter 3 and into chapter 4, we see a progression of the new self-life. In chapter 3, verses 5 through 17, the focus was on personal characteristics. In chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, uh, verse 1, Paul discusses home life and those relationships that are close to us. In chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, what we just read, he broadens the discussion on the new self-life to include unbelievers. Then in chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 18, as was customary, we find Paul's final greetings. And he recognizes those who are laboring for God's kingdom. He encourages his companions in ministry and knows each plays a special part in the advancement of the gospel. Brothers and sisters who are living the new self-life personally, with each other, and among unbelievers. So we live now in a watching world that is continually evaluating Christianity and the people who say they know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. When people ask what we believe, how do we respond? The story goes that an Irishman, I don't know why Irish, but he was an Irishman, he was once asked what he believed. He responded, I believe what the church believes. And when asked, and what does the church believe? He replied, the church believes what I believe. Then when asked, and what do you both believe? He declared, why to be sure we both believe the same. And perhaps we can relate to that deer in headlights feeling. The awkwardness of not knowing what to say when people ask us, what do you believe? So our focus this morning will be on chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, where Paul gives us practical advice on how to declare the mystery of Christ. And it involves purposeful prayer wise walking, and salty 
speech. First, purposeful prayer. In verses 2 through 3, we read this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So first thing, we are told to continue steadfastly in prayer. And this is very similar to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Does this mean we spend the entire day on our knees praying every waking minute? Do we move to a monastery? Most of us, I believe, will be happy to hear that the answer is no. I think we need to think in terms of being aware of God and relating Him in every experience to life, relating every experience in life to Him. Paul expounds by saying that we are to be watchful. This is similar language to what he told Peter, James, and John in Gethsemane when he told them to keep watch as he prayed. But if you remember, they fell asleep. So being watchful means being aware of your personal needs and of the needs of those around you. Not falling asleep. Looking and listening for things to pray for and then actually praying for them. Personally knowing our areas of sin and weakness so that we do not fall into temptation. Then Paul tells us that we need to pray with thanksgiving. And how timely, right? Since we celebrated Thanksgiving on Thursday. It is a day that we give thanks for the Lord's provision. Why do our prayers need to be filled with thanksgiving? I would say to keep us mindful of the Lord's abundant provision and foster an attitude of gratefulness on a daily basis. Not just one day a year. Stephen Nichols, he wrote an article for Ligonier Ministries about Thanksgiving Day. And he says this, The holiday of Thanksgiving began during a time of great adversity and struggle. We might think that times that adversity and challenge would produce ingratitude, while times of prosperity would produce gratitude. Sadly, the reverse is true. He says that there's a chilling scene from the animated television show, The Simpsons, and it demonstrates this. Bart Simpson was called upon to pray for a meal for which he promptly prayed, saying, Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Nichols goes on to say, Oftentimes, prosperity breeds ingratitude. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 warns us of this very sin. Moses writes, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have given me this wealth. We have so much, and it's so easy to think, like Bart Simpson, that's because of what we have done. And when we think, and when that's our attitude, it does not take long for ingratitude to set in. Therefore, our prayer should be filled with thanksgiving 
always remembering that all we have is from God. Moses then echoes this truth uh, in Deuteronomy 8.18, which is the following verse. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. And this applies to our salvation as well. Because of what Christ has done for us through His life, His death, His resurrection, we are spiritually rich. We have so much to be thankful for. And understanding, understanding this will motivate us to pray for others who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Purposeful prayer includes praying that God would open doors. Pastor David told us prayer is the key that God uses to open those doors. Paul says pray for us. Again, referring to his friends and companions, starting in verse 7, who are laboring for the kingdom of God. We too should pray for missionaries and those in our community around the world who declare the mystery of Christ to an unbelieving world. Prayer allows us to share in the ministry of others and the expansion of God's kingdom. Again, God could have done it any way He chose to, but He chose to use prayer. And it's a gracious provision that God allows us to pray for and aid in another's ministry so that they, the unbeliever, will understand the Gospel. So may the Lord continue to open doors so the Gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth as we are purposeful in our prayers. Secondly, let's say that we declare the mystery of Christ through wise walking. Verse 5, Paul writes, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And the focus here now is our actions, the way that we live, the things that we do. We're, we're told that we need to walk in wisdom, making the best use of time. Let's think about this. I would say that if each of us were given $1,440 and we're told that we would receive another $1,440 each and every day only if we spent the $1,440. To get the new amount of money, you had to spend it each day. So what would we do? Each day we would strategize and plan on what to buy. I need to buy this. I need to give money to this organization. I need to give money to this person. We would make every effort to spend all the money down to the cent. Why $1,440? Because that is how many minutes are in a day. Do we treat the 1,440 minutes in a day like we would treat the money. I think we can all take a deep breath here. Because thankfully, the Lord does not make decisions on if we get to enjoy the next day based on how we lived the day before. Praise God for that. However, each of us is given a certain amount of time to live. Psalm 139 verse 16 says that all of our days are numbered before one of them came to be. There are no guarantees the next day. Each day is a gift. So in our relationships, 
with outsiders, referring to unbelievers, we need to be prepared to walk in wisdom. In Psalm 90, Moses says something very similar. In verse 12 of Psalm 90, he says this. He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. He links the shortness of life and wisdom to one another. I think understanding the brevity of life encourages us to walk in wisdom and declare the mystery of Christ with our lives. The realization that life is fleeting, that life is but a vapor, should press upon us the importance of godly living and making the best use of our time. I believe that the early church, they understood this as they faced heavy persecution and knowing that there were no guarantees in their lives. Yet, they turned the world upside down by living out the truth of the gospel in their personal and corporate lives. They surely made use of their time. So as we interact with unbelievers, we should give them every reason to consider what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should look for ways to honor the unbeliever. Look for ways to serve the unbeliever. Look for ways to love the unbeliever. We should live in such a way that the name of Christ is not dishonored. Do the things that we prioritize honor Christ. Do the things that we pursue in life honor Christ. Do the things that we value honor Christ. If we need help knowing how we walk in wisdom, James tells us that if we lack wisdom, then ask God and He will give it generously. Also, Scripture gives a good starting point for what it means to walk in wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we begin by fearing the Lord, knowing that He is worthy of all glory and honor. The fear of the Lord will guide our decisions and actions and will help us to walk in wisdom and make use of the time that the Lord has given us. Finally, we see that not only our actions are important, but our words are very important too. Our speech should be salty. In the last few years, the slang word salty has become popular. Salty, when used as a slang term in modern day, can be used to describe someone who is angry, agitated, or upset, as well as someone who is mean, annoying, and repulsive. A person is salty. But Paul tells us in verse 6 that our salty speech should be gracious. If you look at the text, Paul says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. At times, I believe that the modern slang meaning of salty may be more accurate reflection of our interactions with an unbeliever. If they say or do something 
we don't agree with, we become salty, we become angry, we become agitated, we become upset. Just spend a few moments on Twitter, Facebook, or any other social media site to see the reality of this. Believers, Christians, becoming salty with unbelievers. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she did that. You were so dumb. You're crazy. And, and so on. It's not particularly gracious. Something that I was taught in college from my campus minister and that stuck with me is that we need to remember in our relationships, conversations, interactions with non-Christians is this. Don't be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians. We laugh, right? But how often are we surprised? We become self-righteous and impress upon them the standard that we live by. Unbelievers still live the old self-life, which Paul describes this way in Colossians chapter 3. It's a life full of coveting, Sexual morality, impurity, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. But for the Christian, Paul tells us this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. No matter how ridiculous, outlandish, immoral, or ungodly the unbeliever statement or behavior is, The reality of the situation is this. They are just being themselves. This is not an us against them statement. We are no better. We have done nothing to earn our salvation. And it's so easy to forget. So easy to forget. Only by the grace of God that we know any different and have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't figured something out. We're not smarter than the unbeliever. We are simply recipients of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to help us see our need for the Lord Jesus. By His grace, the Lord allows us to hear and understand the Gospel. The grace that God has extended to us should be evident in the words we speak to an unbeliever. Grace should be the salt that seasons our speech, not anger and agitation. Why should our speech be seasoned with salt? Paul tells us at the end of verse 6, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In a similar vein, Peter tells us to defend our faith with gentleness and respect in First. Peter chapter 3. The unbeliever is much more likely to ask questions about our faith, what we believe, and why we live the way that we do if our speech is always gracious and seasoned with salt. Why is salty speech attractive? Because, I would say this, salt not only adds flavor, and salt is used to preserve meat, I would say salt does this. When our speech is seasoned with salt, 
salt makes people thirsty. When we have salty chips or pretzels, a drink is close by. When we use salty speech by God's grace, we are making people thirsty for the eternal truth that they are searching and looking for. So let us season our responses, our conversations with salt so that the unbeliever will thirst for the Lord Jesus Christ. Whew, right? You're just sitting here and you're like me as, as preparing. You're like, you may evaluate your life. You may think about your prayers. You may think about your actions. You may think about your speech. And again, if you're like me, those things may not seem very purposeful. They may not seem very wise. may not seem very salty. So what, what, what do we do? What do we do with that feeling of inadequacy? That, Lord, I, I'm not doing these things. I don't measure up. I know that I, I'm not good enough. So what, what do we do with that? I would say that we could learn something from Teddy Roosevelt. We tell stories. We tell a story. And Teddy Roosevelt, he was known for many things in his life. He was an avid hunter. He was a war hero. And of course, he was a president. One thing you may not know about Teddy Roosevelt, that he was an amazing storyteller. He loved telling stories to his children at bedtime. And telling the stories of the Bible while teaching Sunday school. Mark Twain wrote this about Teddy Roosevelt. He said that if Teddy Roosevelt had not gone into politics, he might have completely dominated America's literary scene. Robert Frost said that Teddy Roosevelt had the innate ability to craft sterling prose and gripping narrative. The stories that Teddy Roosevelt told, they were compelling, they were captivating and enthralling. Oh, do we have a story to tell? And it's a story that's full of wisdom and grace because it's God's story. As we engage the unbeliever, is there any more, is there anything more compelling? Anything more captivating? Anything more enthralling than the God of the universe wanting to be in relationship with us? Of a God who loves and pursues us with a never-ending, never-failing love. Of a God who sent His Son to live the life that we could not live. To die the death that we deserve to make relationship with Him possible. Of a God who raised His Son from the dead so that we could be raised and have eternal life. Of a God who brought us out of darkness into light. Who brought us from death to life. Through our lives may not always be defined by purposeful prayer, wise walking, and salty speech. The life of Jesus was. His prayers were full of purpose as, we, as He withdrew and spent time with His Father. And when He sweated blood in Gethsemane, He walked in wisdom as He engaged the outsider, the outcast, 
the tax collector, and the sinner. His speech was full of salt and caused the woman at the well to say, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty. Through faith in Christ and His life, death, and resurrection for us. His life is our life. His righteousness is our righteousness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, the transformation will be complete. Because He will return one day and we will reign with Him forever. Let us pray. Dear Father of grace and mercy, Lord, I thank You that Your Word is good and true. Lord, I thank You that You have called us to be Your people. I praise You that we can worship You. Lord, I pray by Your grace and mercy that You would allow us to have purposeful prayer, wise walking, salty speech. Lord, that You would use us to engage the unbeliever. Lord, I pray that Christ would be lifted high. And Lord, that Your kingdom would advance. Thank You for Your goodness to us and Your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.